there's news in the NFL today, and it's time to break it down in the only way we know how. Hot Rock Style. Earl! Johnny! With our spin on football headlines with a mix of frozen tundras. Let's be a cold weather team. Neck rolls. And grass-stained jerseys. The good old-fashioned guts was probably the biggest difference in the game. Hello, welcome to another episode of Hot Routes. Matthew Collar, Jonathan Harrison here, and we have five-ish questions to talk about with the National Football League. And what a week of National Football League football. Jonathan, I have to tell you, man, like this season, it started out with a lot of bad football. And Tom Brady was like, there's a lot of bad football. But as we've gone along... I think that the teams have settled into who they are and the badness of some teams, the weaknesses has led to a ton of really compelling games, exciting games, randomness, craziness, unpredictability. Every season has its own sort of shape. This one is just bananas. And I feel like uh, I was getting a little frustrated with it because there were so (laughs) many bad games on my TV um, but now embrace the madness of the 2022 NFL season. You agree? Absolutely. I mean, it seems like every game is a one score game at this point, And this is just the 2022 football season. And we have to live with that being the factor. And NFL red zone is loving that every, every game is coming down to one score because it's just highlight television for them every week, but it's also highlight television for fans, whether their team's out of it or not, they always feel like they have a chance at the game because it's always within one score. I mean, I'm looking at the the scores from this week, and it's it's uh, 21-16, 33-30, 31-30 are the first couple games that I pop that pop up on the NFL.com score sheet from this last week. It's insane how many games are just coming so close and down to the wire every single week or going into overtime, and that's that's great for the NFL. It keeps rolling on. It keeps just raking in the cash because these games are so close and the fans never feel like they're completely out of a game. They may be completely out of a season like the Lions and the Bears are at this point, but their fans love these games because they're so close all the time. Yeah, and I mean, for most of the time, there's no stake that I have in any of these games. I just want excitement and entertainment, and you know, that's a good uh, you know, example is like Washington and Philadelphia, which when I saw the game on the schedule, my first thought was like, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Do I have to? Uh, and yet, I mean, that game was filled with all sorts of madness. And, you know, I think about all the time how funny the ball is shaped and how that makes a difference in all of this, that there are bounces that go weird ways. And Quez Watkins goes down after a bomb. And you're just like, don't get up. Oh, he did it. How many times have you ever seen that? where a guy many right where a guy catches a ball and he tries to do just a little too much. I saw somebody put out a video making fun of Tyler Lockett because he catches the ball and goes down. he it's actually quite funny to watch because he just catches the ball and he's like, I'm tackled. Like he just does not fight for yardage. He doesn't jump for first downs or anything. He just goes immediately down after he gets catches down the field. And I'm like, I'm actually with Tyler Lockett here. Not only does he not take hits, which is good for him because then he keeps being Tyler Lockett and playing, but also he doesn't fumble. I mean, how many times do guys fumble just doing too much? But that's, I mean, stuff like that, games like that has just started to make this season really 
uh, random and weird in kind of a good way where every single game you're like, okay, let's go. I don't care who's playing. It could be nuts. Yeah, you could you could tune in, conceivably tune in to that Bears-Lions game and think this is going to be a snooze fest. But then they bring it down completely down to the wire and it's a 31-30 game at the end of it. It's like, I got entertainment for three and a half hours out of a game that you went in thinking, okay, this is just going to be one of the worst games of the season. And probably it was, but 31-30 says it was a pretty dang good game for the most part and that it was close affair between the two teams. Even the badness of Atlanta and Carolina. Yes. Uh, and speaking of badness, that's where we're going to start with hot routes. All of this was just to lead into the Las Vegas Raiders and the Indianapolis Colts. And uh, Jonathan, I know that you have a special connection to Las Vegas and that uh, you wanted this to be a thing. Mm-hmm. It's not a thing. Nope. It's super not a thing. It's never really been a thing. And, you know, Las Vegas it's, it, you know, when you think about franchises and the decisions they make and where they take them, right? Like the Minnesota Vikings and the Las Vegas Raiders had essentially the same off season. They hired a new coach, an offensive coach. They brought in veteran players like Chandler Jones and Devonte Adams, who were supposed to change the face of the team. I mean, the Vikings got, you know, Patrick Peterson back. They brought in Zedaria Smith. So some veteran stars, they kind of doubled down on having been a good, but not great team the season before Minnesota's eight and one and Vegas is just on fire. It's just burning <laughs> down. It's like the end of casino. Sorry for the spoiler where they're blowing <laughs> up the casinos. Like that's what it's like. That's what it's like. They're Okay, I won't go too deep into the casino thing because it gets pretty it's dark. It's old enough. You can that. spoil it. It's fine. But they're well, it, they bury a guy in the desert, but that doesn't have to go there exactly. But I mean, <laughs> I just mean that they show casinos being blown up. Is this kind of the point? And that's the Raiders. They lost to Jeff Saturday's Colts of all people. They're two and seven. It seems like Derek Carr is going to be their fall guy this season because they're going to stick with Josh McDaniels from what it sounds like from Mark Davis. Uh, Jonathan, where do you think that Derek Carr is playing next season and how long does Josh McDaniels last as head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders? Well, uh, Mark Davis, their owner, came out today and said that uh, Rome wasn't built in a day, whatever, I guess whatever that's supposed to mean, if he wants to take that, go that cliche route, and that he's behind Josh McDaniels. I mean, he signed him away from the Patriots and probably, I would assume, gave him a hefty contract to do it. So I'd imagine they're not going to get rid of him. I think he's going to last longer than a year and a half like he did in Denver the last time he was a head coach, but I don't think it's much beyond that because I ju- it just doesn't seem like it's working. You heard... I don't know if you heard the comments from Brandon Marshall this week on NFL Showtime, I believe, where he just says Josh McDaniels isn't a leader and Wes Welker's just kind of sitting there. I think it was Wes Welker or Julian Edelman, one of the two guys. I think Julian Edelman sitting right there next to him, just like, yep, I guess uh, I guess it's being said. Former coaches being talked about like this. But Brandon Marshall had quite the strong words against Josh McDaniels not being a leader. And what's there to show that he is good and capable of being a head coach in this league? He's got a 2-7 and seven Raiders team that went to the playoffs last year that supposedly got better in the off season and should be a lot better than they are. I mean, as you said, they, they got, they got beat by Jeff Saturday's Indianapolis Colts, which is just what they allowed Matt Ryan to hit 18 yards, 18 miles per hour in a run that he had or in the game. So they're giving up uh, a good game to Matt Ryan. Who's looked cooked this entire season. I can't see this lasting much beyond 
a year and a half to two years for Josh McDaniels in his second go-around as that coach. He might just be the guy who's better off as an offensive coordinator. And I guess if you're going to be that guy for the for the New England Patriots and win Super Bowl after Super Bowl, there's nothing wrong with that. You're getting rings. I mean, you're not going to go down as one of the greats of all time, but you can you can be you can have a pretty nice living. I mean, he's only 46, so he might get another shot at being a head coach in the future. Maybe. I mean, two stints is pretty pretty damning to begin with, but I don't see it going beyond two years. As for Derek Carr, he's probably going to be gone at the end of this season. I mean, they made the contract extension, so it's very easy to get out uh, from underneath it. Does he go the route that his brother went and go down to Houston? Because they'll need a quarterback. I don't see them going, sticking with their guy that they've been playing for this season. They'll need a quarterback to kind of help jumpstart things. Does Derek Carr try and do better than his brother did in, in Houston? That's one of the situations that I saw or that that kind of looked interesting for, for a quarterback on the move. Because you think about it, there's not a whole lot of spots that are open right now, but they could be. I mean, Pittsburgh, if they want to move on from Kenny Pickett quick enough, but I don't see that happening. You don't move on from a first rounder that quickly unless unless he's Josh Rosen. Um, but I don't know. Houston and maybe uh, Tennessee, could they go after him? I don't know. There's, there's, there's some interesting spots for Derek Carr, but not a whole lot for a guy who should probably be playing better than he is right now. I mean, Tennessee already basically has Derek Carr and Ryan Tannehill, <laughs> but, he, but he is, you know, his contract situation, like that might be one that uh, is a bit tenuous. I think one team to look at here, depending on how they feel about the draft, would be Carolina, because yeah. I think they think they have a pretty good roster, and it's plausible to me that uh, they could say, we don't want to draft a quarterback and wait and wait and put it in fake hands. Instead, we want to go out and get you know, somebody proven. Washington is another one that Taylor Heineke is a fun story, but he's your classic backup who you know, probably wins half his games and throws away half of them, makes spectacular plays, and then the other half. Uh, I think the quarterback shuffle could be insane, depending on like how does Kyler Murray feel about Arizona? Would Kyler Murray demand a trade out of Arizona? It has been a complete mess in Arizona. Would Atlanta be interested in Derek Carr? They might win too many games this year to be the team that drafts super high. Like yeah. Marcus Mariota might just win too many games uh, based on the fact that there are other teams that are absolutely miserable. So there, there are other teams that could be interested. I mean, I don't know what Indianapolis is going to do. I think they almost <laughs> have to like – just hope that Matt Ryan retires, but then they yeah. become a candidate for it. Um, there's a long way to go, but there aren't as many teams that have unsolved quarterback situations than in the past. So there's really only a couple spots that he could potentially go if they move on from him. It's also possible that they try to run it back again, but I feel like the situation is sort of gone past go with him and Josh McDaniels. And I saw somebody who used to play for Josh McDaniels when he was in Denver and is now in sports radio tweet that McDaniels claimed that he could take any quarterback and turn him into basically like a superstar because his system was so good. And anytime somebody says that run away, yeah. run as fast and as far away as you possibly can. If you don't think it was Tom Brady and not you, you are a sociopath. <laughs> yes. You're just an egomaniac. And there's a lot of egomaniacs in football. And he might be a very good offensive coordinator. His system might be really, really good when it's operated by Tom Brady. When it's operated by other people, it might not be possible. It might be over the head of someone like Derek Carr. 
And you know what just doesn't make much sense to me? And this might have happened happened anyway. This might have just been their fate. I don't know. But they had the special teams coordinator get elevated to be head coach after the John Gruden calamity. And the guy did great. Mm-hmm. And they were buying into him and they were this close. I mean, this close to winning a playoff game. And you know, they just don't come through at the goal line at the end. Like, who knows, right? If they score that, like, who knows how far they go if they score on that final drive against Cincinnati. And they just said, here's a door. Like, I don't know, man. I mean, I don't know any better than anybody else about who's going to work out or who's not going to work out as a head coach. But that's not a guy that I would have said, get out of town. Those are really special circumstances. And I'm just like mind blown that they still went for the shiny object. I know it's Vegas, but they still went for the shiny object even after somebody who stepped in did such an amazing job. And that that is what you call what they have right now. This is a franchise in peril. I mean, they are just completely lost at sea. And then, hey, look around. Mahomes and Herbert are going to be here a long time. And uh, the Russell Wilson thing is not getting better, though. I, so I, I don't know. That's That's two franchises. Isn't it crazy? Like, this is how football is so great. We go into the season, we think all four teams have a great argument for just being super good, and two of them are in catastrophe mode. Like, if it was soccer, they'd be relegating these teams. They're such yes. a joke. Who would have ever thought that based on the, the histories of those teams? Or the off-seasons that they had. I mean, you talk about a, a Broncos team that had a general manager that was on the rise because of the moves he made uh, of getting a bucket load for Von Miller last in the middle of last season and then almost bringing him back uh instead going with randy gregory i believe and then you trade it and get russell wilson who everybody expected would just be able to take his seattle success and move it to denver on a team that was younger and seemed ready to go and ready to challenge for the afc west and it's just completely tanked so yeah that's uh, for those two teams just to collapse as much as they have this season when everybody expected that to be the toughest competition that to be expected to be the toughest division in the entire NFL is just, it's, it's outstanding. It's amazing that that's happened in this season where every game has been close. As we talked about to open the show that those two teams just can't get it together long enough to put, put together winning streaks. It's, it's incredible. And I mean, even with the chargers, like they were my preseason pick Mm -hmm. and they have not quite been what we thought they were going to be. They come off a loss to San Francisco and now they're like floundering in the AFC playoff race. And, you know, I didn't think that they would run away from Kansas city. I didn't think anyone was going to, or as long as Patrick Mahomes has an arm attached to the rest of his carcass, that guy (laughs) is going to have his team toward the top of that division. It's Mahomes is like Manning in this way that it's going to be 10 wins is the floor as long as he's healthy for the rest of his career. But I did think they could go neck and neck with Kansas city. And it seems like injuries have just been so problematic for them that uh, there's really no escaping it. I mean, Keenan Allen, I think we're really seeing the value of a number one wide receiver. And when you don't have it, it's a big problem. Um, I also think that like maybe Justin Herbert, and this could be hindsight. I don't know. Like, should you have let your lung heal or whatever? Like, oh, I forget exactly how the injury went rib lung. Uh, but you want to play through it as much as you can, but are you hurting your team to some extent by doing it? So that whole division has sort of, again, fallen all around Patrick Mahomes and he still stands as King. But I think that with Denver and with Las Vegas, 
they have to be looking at their futures going, how do we get out of this? Yeah. And they're, they, they gave all their draft picks to Seattle or, you know, Vegas, they put all of their money into, um, you know, put all their money into their car. And, and now like, who knows? They put all their money into Josh McDaniels, which is another way to read that situation. It's like Mark Davis doesn't want to pay multiple coaches not to work there. So, you know, that, that neither one of those teams is in a good spot at all. And yet here's the Chiefs. They trade away Tyree Kill and still <laughs> just, just power on. Um, okay, next question for you, Jonathan. Justin Fields has been going off lately and uh, understandably has not won the last two weeks despite putting up, what is it, 62 points over the last two weeks and has still come up short, but is toward the top of the NFL, sixth in rushing. He has become a one-man attack. He is playing like Lamar Jackson at this point. And uh, he might be a little bit more of a technically sound passer as they get more receivers, offensive line, those things together. Where do we see the Chicago Bears in two years with Justin Fields? I think that's an interesting one because of the way the rest of the NFC North uh, kind of plays out over the next couple of years. Whether, however, we'll get to Minnesota in a second, but Green Bay, once Aaron Rodgers leaves, we're seeing that, that the rest of that roster just isn't set up to accommodate any other quarterback other than Aaron Rodgers. And even with Aaron Rodgers, it's still not set up very well. So I feel like once Aaron Rodgers is done in Green Bay, that team might fall off the edge of a cliff, uh, depending on how good their head coach is there. But then you got the Detroit Lions, who look like they're a head coach and a quarterback away from being a pretty dang good football team in the future. And that could come as soon as this offseason. I mean, they'll have a top draft pick. Do they get rid of Dan Campbell after this season? and move on and get in an exciting young maybe offensive minded head coach and bring him in and see what they can do with a new uh, a new rookie quarterback on a rookie quarterback contract and spend all that money that you'll be saving in that instance and just load up that roster around him which that roster is already pretty dang good it's got a lot a lot of young talent the defense could probably be better which they'll be able to spend money to bring in defensive players to do that so that that could be their toughest competition depending on what happens with the Vikings and Kirk Cousins this offseason or the next offseason because that's going to be, I think that's the toughest competition for them if Kirk Cousins stays or depending on how the rest of that roster breaks down, whether Quest Adolfo Mensa decides, all right, Kirk Cousins is done. Let's kind of get rid of some of these older guys because that is an aging roster in Minnesota. There's a lot of older guys there that are kind of there for maybe one, maybe two last go around. So in two years, this could be the Bears division, I think, uh, with Justin Fields and how they built, how they essentially tore down that roster down to the nuts and bolts this off season. And they'll have a ton of money to spend to rebuild it. They'll have a ton of draft picks to rebuild it. So it'll be a very interesting roster in two years. And I think if Justin Fields develops more as the passer and continues the ability to run the ball, like he has that, that is going to be a very dangerous Chicago team in two years. Can you ever remember somebody having the light go on like this? I mean, just all of a sudden, all of a sudden with Justin Fields, I mean, a few weeks into the season, we were ready. I was ready mm -hmm. to just call it and be like, I'm sorry, this guy cannot process and is afraid to throw the football. He really looked afraid to throw the football through the first, I don't know, 20 games of his NFL career. And then all of a sudden, and it was kind of against Minnesota where he took off and he ran for a 60 yard touchdown. It was called back for a, block in the back which are you kidding me right. uh but 
it was almost like he realized, oh my gosh, I'm running faster than everyone else. Or at least the Bears realized he's running yeah. faster than everyone else. He should really start doing that more often. And these last few weeks, he's just decided I'm going to run all the time because they can't stop me and I'm faster mm-hmm. than them. His confidence has gone through the roof. And I know he had a really horrible interception and I get that. And he has to fix that. Can't do that all the time. But in a way it was like, this guy's believing him in himself that he can make plays even when there's no play to be made in a way it's good. It was not a good play, of course. And you're like, if he keeps doing that, he's bad. Uh, but he, but like that, that's the stuff he was just taking sacks before repeatedly Mm -hmm. and to see him like actually kind of give it a shot to try to make a play. Okay. This looks like a little bit of a different guy. That's just gotten confidence all of a sudden that he can be a good player. Um, So, you know, I I think that with fields, there's a lot of signs there that look a lot like uh, Josh Allen did in Buffalo. And actually it matches up a lot with their roster because when Sean McDermott was hired, they really they they went to the playoffs and then they tore a lot of it down. They got rid of Sammy Watkins. They got rid of what Stephon Gilmore. Maybe that was a little bit earlier. Um, Ron Darby. They had some kind of key players who had been there a while, and they got rid of them. And that's kind of what Chicago did, and then rebuilt it. But once you start loading up an offensive line in the future, loading up a defensive line in the future, they're still going to have a pretty high draft pick. I think Allen might have gone six and ten in his first year. And then all of a sudden they're in the playoffs the next year and they're taken yeah. off. Um, that rookie quarterback contract is gold. And when you have a confident quarterback who can run, you can win a lot of games. And I think that their trajectory as of now looks good. And here's the other thing too. Matt Eberflus looks like he can coach. And that's a, as we just talked about with Josh McDaniels, that's such a huge deal. Like you picked up on it pretty early in Buffalo with McDermott. This guy looks like he can coach huge deal that Eberflus has not stepped on his own feet over the first couple of weeks of the season and has been at the helm as uh, Justin Fields has found his confidence. Yeah. And that's, that's a marked improvement over what they had in a head coach last year who just wouldn't adjust his system for the quarterback that he had. And you see that this year in the offensive coordinator and the offensive system that they've had is that they, you could tell, as you mentioned, Justin Fields didn't feel confident in the first what handful of games of the season. But then as he got confident, as they realized, oh man, this guy is just outrunning everybody. They've started building kind of those plays into their system and started letting him just kind of open it up and just take free reign and have have the ability to run and scramble and use his ability to run. And that's opened up obviously things in the passing game because teams are having to sit back there and have a spy sitting, sitting on him to make sure that he's not going to be able to escape, but he's still able to because he's maybe the fastest quarterback in the league this side of Lamar Jackson, and that's a competition there that uh, may that's up there because those two are just incredible with their running game and their passing games. If they when they get it going, man, those two quarterbacks are the quarterbacks of the future with how they're able to spread spread offenses out and play and throw and run and confuse defenses and keep them on their toes all the time. A team with their record is yet somehow one of the most exciting teams in the NFL to watch play, which I think is a compliment to fields. I mean, I think that in two years, like you said, the Vikings timeline is a little wonky with the age, even of Kirk cousins. I mean, 34 years old, like quarterbacks usually past that age, unless they're named Brady or Rogers don't necessarily (laughs) uh, put up MVP numbers. So they're going to have to make a decision at some point on him, the rest of the aging roster. At some point they just have to reset that roster and kind of redo things a little bit. 
um, or it might be a slow process where they have a dip after the season and then they draft a quarterback or wh- whatever it might be. Uh, Detroit is a, a lock to draft a quarterback, whether they hit on him or not. It's still going to take a year, two years. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, and who's willing to bet that Detroit is going to give anybody a run for their money? At least Chicago has had times in their history where they've been good and competitive. During the Jay Cutler era, they had multiple seasons where they were a legitimately competitive mm-hmm. team. That's just not the case for the Lions <laughs> that, you know, even during the Matt Stafford era, there's only a couple years mixed in uh, where you could care about them. So, But I do think the Lions have kind of everything set up to draft the quarterback and eventually get moving, but their timeline is behind Chicago's Chicago could be a super bowl contender by next year. They'll go into the year and everyone will talk about how like, Oh, they should improve whatever. And then it wouldn't be totally shocking to see them win like 12 games because they're able to add a bunch of talent in the off season. So that, I mean, this has been a franchise changing couple of weeks for the Chicago bears. Uh, Next question. The Odell Beckham talk is just nonstop. So you got Chicago, the Giants, LA is just off the table because they are garbage. And I mean, this, just real quick aside, everybody who doubted the LA Rams last year knew this was on the way, Mm -hmm. right? You screw up your cap, you give away all your draft picks, bleep them picks, and you trade for an older quarterback who's flawed. Eventually, it's just going to hit the fan. They won and they get all the credit for that. They played incredible and went through all the way, you know, through the playoffs, which is super difficult to do. They weren't the one seed, so they had to start out wildcard weekend and they deserve all the credit for that. But this is why everyone was concerned, because if you lose in the first round or something, you've just missed it completely and you're in big trouble for a long time. So Beckham will not be signing there, but uh, it seems like it is the Cowboys and Giants over everyone else. Who do you think would benefit more from signing Odell Beckham, the Giants or the Cowboys? This is a tough one because you could think both of them for very good reasons. The Giants don't have any receivers. I mean, they traded away Kadarius Toney, who's now gone on to be successful for the Chiefs. Shocker that a quarterback can help him out and become really successful. But if if Odell Beckham goes there, that suddenly opens up the passing game, which they weren't able to do before, and gives... Saquon Barkley even more opportunity to just maul defenses like he has been all season. So that that'd be interesting. I I want to lean more towards the Cowboys though, just because putting him next to CD Lamb, putting him in that offense with Dak Prescott, a better quarterback, is gonna is gonna open up things so much more. It's gonna make them so much harder to defend because they'll have so many weapons to try and cover. And we've seen in the past how that's so dangerous. Or that's that's such a tough thing for defenses to shut down is having all those weapons and trying to place enough guys on them and then watch out for the running quarterback who can move. You don't really want to see because Dak's injury history, but he's able to do it. So that I think it's Dallas in this one though. New York Giants have a very tough or have a very strong case to say that they would benefit more than the Cowboys just because he would be a legitimate passing weapon which they haven't had before. Yeah, they really don't have one. I guess I look at the giants and maybe this is unfair as being sort of a second class citizen in comparison to some of the other NFC teams, because they really don't have a weapon. And if you're asking Odell Beckham to be that aside from Saquon Barkley to be the one and only coming off ACL surgery, having not played and like, Hey, you got to go carry a passing game. Yeah. That's pretty hard. That's a big ask. But with Dallas, you know, something that's been studied in the past 
that has yielded very interesting results is PFF looked at um, number one, number two receivers and their impacts in the playoffs. And they found that the number two and number three weapons were basically as valuable as the number one. That if a team had multiple weapons, that it was kind of a meal ticket to going deep in the playoffs because you could shut down one guy if you're a great defense that's in the playoffs. It's mm-hmm. very hard to shut down two and even harder to shut down three. C.D. Lamb is already an unstoppable force, but they don't have another guy that draws attention, which makes you really bet against them, right, if they don't have that second guy. So I think that if he goes to Dallas, they are a very legit Super Bowl contender. They have an elite defense, which I think that this year defense might take teams deep in the playoffs more than any other year without the dominant quarterback situations. So they've got an elite defense. They've got a very accurate quarterback who has become, like you said, much more of a pocket quarterback. He can run a little bit and make plays, but I think he really needs his receivers running open for Dak Prescott. Uh, I just don't really take the Giants 100% seriously as, as real contenders at this point, kind of playing off the run game, eking out wins week after week, trying to run Daniel Jones. Like Brian Dable's done an amazing job, but if you're talking about which of those teams can have a quarterback, an offensive line, receivers, defense, the whole package to take you deep in the playoffs. I think it's Dallas and I think he needs to go to Dallas. And I also think like, what a, what a weird situation for a player. I mean, how often have we ever seen this in history where a guy who's as great as Odell Beckham, who just came off the Super Bowl, gets to like, look around and go like, where do I want to sign? I guess I'll just sign wherever. And I don't know, like Minnesota has not been brought up at all in the Odell Beckham conversation. Is that weird to you? Because he's friends with Justin Jefferson Mm -hmm. and they have another weapon in TJ Hawkinson, but certainly could use one more. They don't have a whole lot of cap space, but I mean, maybe that's what it comes down to is that like he wants the most money he can get with a contender. The green Bay Packers are out of this conversation. Mm -hmm. There's only a couple teams, Kansas city, maybe, but you know, I, I don't know what their cap situation is. Um, they're the ones that had to trade Tyreek Hill. So he can basically pick wherever he wants to go. And it's sort of odd to me that the Giants would even be in this conversation and not someone like Kansas City or Minnesota. Yeah, the Minnesota one is even more confusing when you look at who Minnesota's head coach is and Kevin O'Connell mm-hmm. as the he was the Rams offensive coordinator last year. Now, Sean McVay is technically the offensive coordinator there. Everybody kind of knows that because he's calling the plays and kind of runs everything on that offense. But Kevin O'Connell comes from that offense that won Odell Beckham Jr. a Super Bowl last year. So it's not like he'd be going into a completely new system. He'd know the system for the most part. And as you said, he's friends with Justin Jefferson. They've got a ton of LSU guys on that roster already. So there's the LSU connection. And I just it just feels like that would be a good option because if you're if you were concerned that he wanted to go somewhere with one of the top tier or elite thinking or elite minded quarterbacks, well that kind of goes out the window when you hear that the Giants are an option because Daniel Jones isn't in that category at all. And Kirk Cousins not having statistically a great year, they're eight and one. Who cares at this point? Doesn't matter. They're they're pulling out wins in the most miraculous of ways. You'll have Justin Jefferson on the other side of the ball, and you can kind of put him wherever both of those guys, and you have Adam Thielen, you have TJ Hawkinson, KJ Osborne can be your fourth, and that's a heck of a good fourth option to have uh, with what he's shown over the past couple of years. I think Minnesota should be up there, but as you said, the cap op- the cap the cap constraints for Minnesota are probably what's holding that back because they don't have a whole lot of cap room. I think they'd have to maybe give 
what is it, Dalvin Tomlinson, an, yep. a contract extension to clear up more cap space to even think about bringing in Odell Beckham Jr. So um, last question for you. Uh, it's only four. I'm sorry, but we talked for a while. So uh, there's time constraints here. But um, so I'm watching, you know, Monday Night Football mm-hmm. and Dallas Goddard clearly gets face masked, goes to the ground, fumbles the ball. It's a game changing play. And I want to give John Perry, the rules analyst, a ton of credit for coming on TV and actually saying what everyone was thinking. And just to be like, this is dumb. This is how can we not review these at this point? How are we as a society in the year of our Lord, 2022, and we can have an obvious infraction that would change the game entirely that was just missed probably because of a bad angle or didn't quite see it or whatever, but it's so obvious on TV. Everybody in the stadium gets to see it. And yet we... We all have to pretend like it didn't happen. Like Philadelphia loses that game and they go home and they're like, did we lose that game? <laughs> like just wait, how, what didn't we get face masked? Yeah. Um, how do you think that they should approach things like this? Because I've always felt like 15 yard penalties. How many happen in a game? I mean, two, three, maybe at most that someone should be able to quickly. And I mean, very quickly just look at any 15, any potential 15 yard penalty. And if there was a face mask, then you should be able to call it because those get missed all the time. And that's like, that's like a big deal. Like those are a a dangerous situation. Uh, And, you know, I, I don't want like more flags, but when there's a game changing play like that, I want a sky judge to be able to say, yes, there was a face mask. I don't want them calling every single thing. Oh, there was a little illegal hands to the face in the offensive and defensive line. I don't need that. But when it's something like that, when it's something so blatant, so clear, and it changes a game, someone should be able to buzz down and just be like, yo, face mask, change that call. That the referees should feel even more secure because right now they're just in over their heads. There's too many rules. It's very difficult. The game moves incredibly fast and there's such an obvious solution. And I just appreciated that he actually came on TV and said this, like, guys, there's an obvious solution here and it's only a matter of time before we do it. But until then we just have to sit around and watch wrong calls for a while. I mean, that was just so annoying (laughs) to hear like, yeah, like he basically let the cat out of the bag that they had been talking about it for years and it just has not happened. And at very least what I'd like is if they, if the opposing team thinks that a 15 yard infraction was committed, they should be able to challenge. Or if uh, there's one that's called that they don't think should be 15 yards, because also in this game, there was a flag, there was a 15 yard flag on Philadelphia for a play where a guy got pushed out of bounds where he was in bounds. Like, it wasn't a late hit, and yet they called that. They really gave Washington that game in a couple of different ways, and Philly did too with some fumbles. But still, like those calls are big, shifting calls for 15 yards. They don't happen mm-hmm. that much. Um, the league really did screw up uh, the interference stuff, so you'd like to see them do a better job. But the answer, Jonathan, seems to be right there. And who do we have to call? What, what, what do I have to do? Do I have to go to Roger's house and just be like, (laughs) what's the problem here? But uh, yeah, I just, I mean, I I don't, I don't know what the answer is, 
but it feels like it's sort of right in front of us, the most obvious yeah. thing. Or I guess I should say, I know what the answer is. I don't know when they'll get around to it, but it seems like it's inevitable now. I think it has to happen, you'd think, this offseason. Because now that officials or former officials who are now rules analysts on TV are talking about it and saying, we just need to do this, you can clearly tell that the officials on the field must want this too because it's clearly weighing on them. It has to weigh on them that they have so much, they have such a large rule book and these guys are incredibly fast and there's just so much to see that it's just impossible for the officials on the field to see everything that a sky judge can't be, can't be all that hard to accommodate and bring into the fold here. And if we're going to do replays and we're going to have all these different camera angles, and especially like last, like Monday night, where it's a Monday night football game, national television. So you have even more cameras and angles than you would normally have at a normal football game. You have all these angles and America is watching and they see this happen and nothing gets called. There has to be a way and it just has to happen that the NFL, you know, puts aside a couple, couple million of their $10 billion annual revenue to afford another guy at the stadium who's sitting up in the booth or something who's looking at a monitor a couple of them's like no 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 hold on guys stop the play or don't let this next play happen because we have to look at this they do it in soccer they have it's not perfect it's called video assisted replay where everything in mls is centralized where all the referees on the field have an earpiece and they're talking to the people in atlanta where the the quarter the centralized officiating is and if something happens on the field that needs to be looked at, they'll buzz the referee and the referee will stop play and they won't let play go on as they talk about it. And if if the referee on the field feels that he needs to look go look at it, there's a monitor right on the sideline for him to just go run over, take a quick peek at it. It doesn't slow down play as much as people thought. It's not that hard to to install in, in NFL stadiums with all the technology and all the money they have. This is such a simple thing to say, hey, the, this, there's going to be this referee in your ear that if something that they see on one of the many different angles they have is something different than what you saw on the field, this is going to help you out. This is going to make everything look better. You're not going to be questioned for questionable calls anymore. And yes, I think I think coaches should be able to challenge certain calls that happen. I don't think they should be able to challenge every single penal, penalty or foul, but there should be some, like a blatant face mask or pass interference that should be able to be looked at or reviewed because there's been plenty of times where we've seen in the NFL that there was a pass interference called or not called that just should have been called and the coach should be able to challenge that, I think. Yeah, and I'd like to see, I feel like as part of the solution because the cat's already out of the bag as far mm -hmm. as it comes to replay. Like we're never putting it back in no. or the toothpaste out of the tube or whatever. You are never, ever killing replay in sports, which I would be fine with if they did. It just causes so many problems, so many delays of games, yeah. uh, so many debates. And then we don't even get it right. Like the referee in the booth and he's like, Oh, that's obviously going to be overturned. And then it just isn't. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like the, the camera angle problem is a big problem. You play Sunday at noon and the guy's down, you play primetime and the guy fumbled like, you know, you just, cause you don't have good enough camera angles mm -hmm. and that seems wrong that it can be, but so there's a million ways you can make an argument against replay in general, but they'll never get rid of it. So let's just do it smarter. And one of the things that I'd love to see for doing it smarter is a 30 second rule. The ref has exactly 30 seconds to look at this yep. thing. And if he can't figure it out, the call stands with every call, then you could actually do this so much easier that you get a buzz down 30 seconds starts at the buzz. Yep. 
You have to go look at this 30 seconds. Bang. It's no different than just like a timeout. When we sit there forever and ever and ever and ever and wait, I think it's absolutely brutal for everybody. No one wants longer games. Um, but like these solutions are just right there for you. And I don't understand why they haven't happened yet, but the NFL kind of moves slowly. And I feel like after that game, the conversation and what he said, what John Perry said, that I think it will start to um, start to kick up a little more. Uh, last thing, Jonathan, since we didn't have a fifth hot route, because we went a little long. Um, who do you think will be in the Super Bowl? There I you think go. There, Question. <laughs> I think there's in the AFC became very interesting when Buffalo started losing, when Josh Allen started to look a little bit shaky. Seven turnovers in the last three games might have some Bills fans a little concerned. I mean, two interceptions in each of the last three games is kind of a shocking thing for a quarterback who everybody thought or everybody praises as being one of the elite quarterbacks in the league. I think that became interesting when Buffalo stopped running away with the AFC. It feels like it's Kansas City's to lose at this point, but the way Miami is playing, the way their offense is playing, that feels like it can translate well into the playoffs with how their receivers are playing. They've got, I think, over 2,000 yards receiving between Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill, which is more than, I think, five or six teams total in the NFL, which is insane. And I feel like that team, if it goes far or if it gets into the playoffs and they host a game or two, they could be a very dangerous team in the playoffs. So I think it's between... Kansas City and Miami, and maybe Buffalo if they can kind of figure out Josh Allen over the last couple weeks, if they can get get him back on track. But I want to lean towards Miami just because they're the hot and up-and-coming up team, and it feels like their offense translates a little bit better right now than Kansas City's, which if they get Kadarius Tony going, that's going to be a dangerous offense. Once again, it's Patrick Mahomes back in the Super Bowl. The NFC, that's a toss-up, as we've been talking about all season long. Philadelphia still looks dominant despite losing on Monday night to Washington. I feel like they're the class of the NFC right now, but Minnesota, with how just crazy their season has been, seven, I think it's seven straight wins of one-score games, which is just, it's, I don't know the odds of that, but it's got to be astronomical that, that that happened, considering what they've gone through the past two years. Minnesota feels just like the team of destiny at this point, like nothing's going to hold them back, and the only, the only, re, the, the only loss in the schedule is to Philadelphia in week two when obviously Minnesota was still learning the system. You don't want to make excuses for a team, but clearly Philadelphia were a little bit better and more ready than Minnesota was in week two. And I would like to see those two teams in the playoffs now with Minnesota knowing their system a little bit more, feeling a little bit more confident. And now that they have TJ Hawkinson in there, I want to see those two teams take it off in the playoffs. And I think Philadelphia right now would come out of the NFC. So it's Philadelphia and probably Kansas City, I would say. Yeah, it's hard not to pick Kansas City. I mean, especially if Buffalo is just so rattled at the end of games as they have been this yeah. year. All three of their games, they've just totally blown at the end. San Francisco, is there, are they going to do it again? Like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're a little banged up, but they kind of always are, and they sort of find a way in the playoffs. Um, our buddy from the Pioneer Press, Chase Frederick, said something to me that I thought was exactly right, that – seven teams in the NFC will make the playoffs and every single one of them will have the exact same odds to make the Super Bowl. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's right on. I mean, you'd weigh it a little toward Philly, a little toward Minnesota with the better records, but I really think that's right on. And when you look at point differentials and nobody's blowing the doors off of anybody else this year in the NFC. And um, 
you know that that yeah i'll, I'll give you uh i'll give you ravens and 49ers as sort of your like low-key hot take uh super bowl right now so keep that's this a wild one that would be completely wrong but <laughs> i just i just keep an eye on keep an eye on that that's how i'm putting it so that would be uh, an incredible great. playoffs if that happens i mean i would you be surprised if a seven seed or even if san francisco ends up with the three seed or is it yeah. four three or four whatever I think it would be. be yeah four yeah four seed so would it be a big surprise like if that if that ended up happening and Seattle drifted off a little toward the end of the season? Like, no, I don't think so. Um, Christian McCaffrey's a great fit for that team. We kind of made fun of that trade a little bit, but like he really is a great fit. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy G, the guy knows how to win with Kyle Shanahan, if nothing yeah. else. Uh, that's good. That's going to be I'm going to I'm going to make that pick right now. Just be a little be a little bold here in November. I like it. Um, thanks for your time, Jonathan. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Hot Routes.